as the guide of our lives. I'm reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, and we'll, we just have to read a few verses here to keep our time in context. Here's the word in the NIV. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she made a papyrus basket, coated it with tar and pitch. The King James Bible calls it an ark of bulrushes. She placed the child in it. You see no name. She put it among the reeds among the bank of the Nile. His, her sister, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go. The girl went and got the baby's mother. <clears throat> Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby, nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby. Jochebed took her own child. Verse 10. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Here's the last verse, 11. Go back to verse 10. She named him Moses. Here's verse 10. One day after. Moses had grown up. He went out to where his own people were. His own people. He watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. One of his own people. I just want to speak today for a moment on the Ark of Jochebed. Now, Father, I pray that your spirit would be here. We're thankful for the families that are attending and all the people that are here in this house. I pray that you bless them. Now, open up your word to us so that this eternal word can sink deep into our heart and guide us toward eternal life. I ask your anointing and your authority to come upon me and upon this congregation. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Turn to your neighbor and say something sweet to them before you're seated. Thank you. The scriptural account that the Bible presents begins in the most dreadful way far removed from the convenience of our lives the wise and famed Joseph 
who saved Egypt and built their treasury, who gathered land and possessions on behalf of this heathen country, has long since passed. The kingdom of Egypt and her subsequent pharaohs have turned over enough to cloud the wonder of Joseph's wisdom. The seven years of harvest and famine, respectively, have faded in their collective thought. Joseph's father, Jacob, will move into Egypt. He brings with him 75 people to meet this firstborn son of Rachel. And from that meager group will grow a massive people, hundreds of thousands of them, all of them known as Hebrews, the children of Israel. They are displaced. This is not their home. And yet they flourish in a land far from the place that will one day be called the promised land. It will flow with milk and honey. Another version speaks of this promised land, but it's so far away. And then another Pharaoh rises, which does not know Joseph. He has no relationship to the very literal savior that Joseph had become to Egypt. New leaders often make the same mistake that this Pharaoh made. He didn't know his history. He failed to look back. He failed to find out how they came to be. You see, forgotten founders often make for destructive futures. The deeds and management that gave Egypt their wealth and blessings through the hand of Joseph was a distant memory. The new Pharaoh did not see the past for what it was. He didn't see all the good that had happened that brought him to this part and point in life. He did see, however, the Hebrews, thousands upon thousands. It caused him to shudder in fear, thinking that perhaps his own people could be overturned by the children of Israel. He considered a coup against his own power. He decided to destroy them, to minimize them, irrespective of the fact that Jacob's lineage was made up mostly of docile people, shepherds of sheep, shepherds of goats. But the Pharaoh saw them as dangerous and threatening by their sheer numbers. And so he did the unthinkable. He used sword and dagger to exterminate the life of Israel's newborn sons. He ordered the Egyptian midwives to report if a baby boy was born. And then the soldiers would come to that house and take that baby's life. The historical account would offer the site of the Nile River as a graveyard of sorrow. We're in the middle of the most horrific scene when the scripture speaks of a mother named Jochebed. She does have other children, daughters we do know, and another son older. But a new baby boy has now been born to her and her husband. We don't know his original name that he was given by his mother. For three months, Jochebed does her best to hide this baby. She's keeping him inside the house, perhaps tucked under blankets. Maybe he's in some kind of carrion contraption when she is compelled to leave her home. She's patting his little mouth to hush his whisper and cry so as not to be heard. To be found out is to witness the atrocity of ruthless Egyptian soldiers. We can barely wrap our heads around infant murder. Sometimes I wonder if we pass over the scripture too quickly. 
so as to become numb to the real life events of the days presented in the Bible. Murder, blood. Jochebed hides him. She keeps him as long as she can until keeping him is more dangerous for him than letting him go. Three months and the time has come. Jochebed will then work with her hands to build a reflection of the work of Noah and of the church in this day. She makes for him an ark of bulrushes, a basket of papyrus. She follows the pattern of Noah in that she coats it with tar and with pitch just like he did so that it becomes waterproof, unsinkable, and secure. The life of this little boy hinges on the integrity of that ark, of the ark of Jochebed. And even though that ark of bulrushes, that basket of papyrus is temporary, nothing compares to its necessity. I ask of you both as a believer and as a Christian, don't ever dimension the need for a church location where the physical identity of a refuge can be beheld by the people who struggle. We're in an age where people are diluting and diminishing a church auditorium, a sanctuary. Because they believe that we don't need buildings anymore. I beg to differ with you. We need something physical, tangible, where we can come, gather. Let it be an ark of safety for us also. Jacobed's ark is a critical thing. It's a fixed place that needs to keep him, but it's not the only thing. Jochebed did more than just build a place, some item. She did more than just construct the location of her child's immediate safety. There's something else that had to happen, and it was internal, verbal, and instructional. The book of Exodus has a brief description of the horrid conditions of this Pharaoh's derangement. The death of the most innocent in the land of Egypt will reveal the introduction of the deliverer, Moses. And this moment will be repeated again and again. It will happen... In the days of King Herod, at the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, Herod the Tetrarch will launch a nationwide slaughter of every male offspring, two years and younger, in hopes to kill off the king that's coming. Herod is trying to save his kingdom, so he purposely attempts to destroy the coming king, Jesus the Christ. He fails at it. I implore you this morning to consider those moments and the one we are in right now in this era, in this day, right before Moses came to lead a revolution, the exodus out of Egypt, there was a mass murder of children. And right before the Messiah came to set the captive free and bring deliverance to the world, there was a mass murder of babies. And this year, we are marking the height of over 50 million abortions in America, not including China and Europe, which have already surpassed that number. I tell you today, Jesus is coming. The deliverer is soon to come, even in this age of debauchery. The deliverer came in the days when Moses was born. The deliverer came in the days when Jesus was born. And the deliverer is going to come back again in the days that you're living right now. If you were waiting to become committed, involved, spiritual, consecrated, this is the day, this is a Sunday. You're living in the last minute of the last hour of the last day of time. And I think there's been no greater attribute or thing you can do in your life than to give your heart to Jesus Christ today. Don't let the theme of flowers and mothers keep you from the mother, which is the church, which is Jerusalem, the mother of us all. Above all, here it is.
Jochebed then releases her son. Moses sits down the river. He's floating in the Nile when that little ark catches a shoreline branch and comes to settle in the place where the daughter of Pharaoh stood. The king's daughter picks him up and immediately feels compassion for him, love. It was she who named Moses, for she drew him out of the water. She will disregard her father's cruel intentions, and she calls for a nursemaid to help him. She needs someone that will raise this child. Moses' sister is watching the scene. Perhaps it was Miriam. And she runs back to her mother, Jochebed. Mama, come quickly. The princess is asking for some mother of the Hebrews to raise this baby. It's God in disguise. Oh, I wish I could just pause and talk about the God that's in disguise. Things you thought was a detour was just God in disguise. Things that you thought was a detriment to your life, that was God in disguise. The enemy made it think, made, made you think that you were going to come down, but the Lord was going to lift you up. Even Joseph once said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What you thought was a defeat was really God in disguise, setting you up for a blessing, not of your own making. If you could only see God's in disguise and everything in your life, he's working out a plan for you. She gets paid to do what she loves to do. Jochebed becomes the appointed nursemaid to raise her own son. And here's what we cannot see. It's a skipping of the biblical record. From verse 10 to verse 11, the most important part of that seems to be left out. We're going to see it, yes. We're going to know of it. We just don't get to read about it. 40 years between verse 10 and verse 11. 40 years Moses will spend in the house of Pharaoh. But during those early years, Jochebed will teach Moses about the things of the Most High God. She will imprint on him the blessings and wonders of the Most High God. She'll teach him about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses knows about the covenant, the Tower of Babel, Sarah's miracle birth in her old age. Jochebed built something inside the mind of Moses that could not sink. The statutes of the Lord implanted deep into his life, his heart. Read the scripture. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were. We just skipped four decades. He was drawn out of the water. Then suddenly, one day, one day, one day, one day, one day is coming. One day is coming. Hear me, mothers. One day is coming. Jochebed doesn't know when, when that will be one day, but one day is on its way. And on that day, one day comes. They may be 40 years old, but one day is going to come. Whatever you taught them when they were five or when they were four, it may come back when they're 40 or when they're 50. One day is coming. Hear me, don't ever give up on your sons. Your sons may look hopeless. They may not look like they're ever coming back again, but one day is on its way. If the God in disguise brought him back to you when you shouldn't have had him, hear me, that same God is going to work out something in your children's lives, even if you don't have them in your hands right now. One day is coming. 
And on the day that one day comes, Moses needs to know who he belongs to. His identity is critical as the ark of bulrushes were critical to his life. There's another ark. It's the ark of statutes, the law of the Lord, the love of God, the history of where he came from. Read the Bible, Acts chapter 7, verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was trained. He could speak their language. He knew their protocols. All the trappings of the royal priest, of, 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 the, of the royal monarch. He was there. He knew all of that. He wore their clothes, their garments. He was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was a full 40 years old, the Bible said, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. How did it come into his heart to visit his brethren? Jochebed taught him. It was there. It just blossomed and opened up. Jochebed did more than just build a fixed ark. She built an ark of truth. She taught him about the God they called Yahweh. The Jewish Jewish scholars will talk about the big pillars of their faith. Moments in the life of Abraham and all about Abraham, his faith, the birth of Isaac. But they also taught and teach today about Hagar, God's faithfulness to Hagar, the handmaiden. No doubt Moses was told about her. Hagar is left outside looking in. She becomes alone. She wonders if she and her son Ishmael will ever be able to survive. The handmaiden of Sarah is the mother of Abraham's first son born outside the promise. But God is faithful to her. Hear me, Moses. God is faithful. He was faithful. He'll be faithful to you. Because in her weakest moment, Hagar, when she thought there was no one who cared for her, Hagar is sitting there. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and found her and showed her a well of water and a place of provisions. And Hagar gave God his first compound name. She called him El-Rohi, the God who sees me. Hear me, Moses. Are you getting this? You serve El-Rohi, the God who sees you. Even when I'm no longer able to keep you, there's El-Rohi in your life. He's going to see you. He's going to bring you through. He's not going to leave you destitute. There's always going to be a well. There's always going to be provision. I want somebody to know there's no place you can go that God had already been there and he's already set up a well for you before you ever arrive. You're serving the God El-Ruhi. You can't hide from him. You can't escape from him. You can't go to a place where you're so lonely that he doesn't know where you are. But he's already been there. He's prepared a place of sustenance for your life. No sorrow, no pain, no loss, no loneliness, no abandonment. God has already been there. Remember, Moses. Remember, honey. Remember, baby. Abraham's journey. Remember now. He's going up the side of the mountain. Remember now. He's going, he's obedient to God. You gotta be obedient to God all your life. No matter where you're at, you gotta be to God. Even when you get in the university, you gotta be obedient to God. Even when subjectivism overtakes you, even when mass consciousness tips its way against the things of God, you got to be obedient to the Lord. And the Lord's gonna make a way for you. Remember Abraham going up the side of Mount Moriah, bringing his son, the son of promise, and laying him on an stone, an altar of stone. God provided a sacrifice. It was a rain caught in the thicket that's when we learn to call God Jehovah Jireh he is the God who provides so just remember Elrohi and Jehovah Jireh he provides and he sees you he knows where you are and he provides everything that you need 
Ah, the stories and the lessons and the ark that's being built. And Moses, he looks like an Egyptian. But he knows who his brothers are. He looks on the outside like he's a part of the current culture. But on the inside, he knows he's a Hebrew. He's layered with all the trappings of royalty, but there's an echo. It's an echo of truth in his heart. See, one day is going to come. And the one day came, and there was something that was holding him afloat. I submit that, it was all, that there will always be a one day. That there is an awakening coming. And the echo of Jochebed's voice is going to be felt. It drives Moses to seek something so unusual. Think of it. Her single voice drives him to choose to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. At 40 years old, whatever she said, William Ross Wallace once wrote, the hand that rocks the cradle rocks the world. Mama, it's time today you implant the echo of your own voice into the lives of your children. Rock the cradle and build something that cannot sink. Mama is a builder. Paul knew it. He writes to his young pastor apprentice as he mentors him. And we all get the pleasure, the privilege to read Paul's writing. He says in 2 Timothy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that it's in you also. Now, Solomon's going to write of children's children. Grandchildren are written about all through the scripture. Grandfathers and grandmothers are presented all through the scripture. But the actual word grandmother is only used once in the Bible. And that's found in the verse that I just read to you. It comes from the Greek word, word mammy, which is actually pronounced, interestingly enough, mammy. Not mammer, <laughs> not nana, but mammy. You can be called whatever you like. Paul uses the Greek word, and he says, when I recall. He predicates his faith in Timothy on the echo of the women, the mothers in his life. He's not trying to say words to diminish Timothy's resolve or his standing, but he's revealing that he feels a familiar faith. That existed in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. He says it. I have a persuasion of you, Timothy. Somebody built something in you. There's an echo in you, Timothy. It's the faith of mammy and mother. It's an unfeigned faith. See, this is not this morning just about the biological mother. It's about motherhood. I don't present something to you today 
that's just confined in a genetic code or, or procreation. This is about motherhood. It's about what is built, both the tangible and the intangible. The real mother is more than the birthing mom. If you have one in the same, then you are incredibly blessed. But I speak about the calling, not just about the cells that make up the anatomy of the new baby. Spiritual motherhood is about what she builds. And we know her, not by that genetic code. We know her because she builds two things. She builds a place and she builds an identity. It's a location. It's a thought. It's a home and it's the scripture. It's a church and it's truth. She works to construct the intangible thing. She also works to construct things that are intangible. She's building something that pulls at the heart. So that even if the tangible is gone, wasted away or washes away, there's something that cannot be taken. It's got to be secure. I appeal to you mothers. It's time for you to open up your voice and build something that will not fade away. Your sons and your daughters need your strong voice. They don't need your negotiating voice. And for sure, the children of this world do not need their parents to be their best friend. Wherever that came from, it's not in the word of God. I believe that the best friend mom is the mother who dilutes the very truth of the things of the word of God. They don't need a best friend. They'll find that in their own peer group. They need a mother who's building a church, a home, the doctrine, the truth, righteousness, and the statutes of the Lord. Wait a second. I already know I'm not being received. I already know some of you don't like this, but I got to preach the truth. I'll tell you what your babies need, your sons and your daughters. They need to see mama saying, I love the Lord. I don't know what you're doing. I'm always going to love you, but I'm never going to give up on the Lord. He's going to be in this home. I'm never going to give up the church. I got to build that too. I'm never going to give up on this book. I've got to build the ark. If you'll just build the ark, you don't know when they're going to come back, but whatever you build has got to float and not sink. Listen, we haven't made it. We have four children. We haven't made anything. We haven't perfected anything. We're still working. We're building the home. We're trying to have peace. We're trying to have love in the home. We're still working on it every day. We've not perfected it. We've not perfected the doctrine. My children are not inherently spiritual because they're related to me. So any of you who decide to say, well, you ought to be better because you're the pastor's kid. Just right now, just, I'm begging you, please bite your tongue in half. Because that's a joke. That's not true. They're going through the same struggles as your kids. In fact, probably if they weren't hanging around your kids, they'd be better. Okay, not really. Just a joke. Just a joke. Just a little joke. Listen, nobody wakes up spiritual. Even Paul said, I was called from my mother's womb. Well, I'm so glad you said it, Paul, and I believe you. But you murdered a lot of Christians in the way before you found the Lord. They might be called when they're young, but they still need a strong voice to say, we're going to build the church. We're going to build the church. We're going to build the home. We're going to build the doctrine. We're going to love it. It's going to be unsinkable. Nothing's going to get in. Hear me. If you'll open up your mouth. We don't have it together. We're still working on it. I got four. This is what I know. I know that it doesn't take a village, but I do know it takes a church and it takes motherhood. So when you speak to the children... Speak in thoughts and terms that puts peace.
pitch and tar in the bottom of their ark. Speak in terms that gives credence to the things of God. Talk to them about the love of the Lord. Tell them there's nothing good in the world. Show them their true identity in Jesus Christ. Hear me. This is your family. This is your church. These are your brothers. These are your sisters. That's what I want you to say, motherhood. Come on, motherhood. Rise up, motherhood. All the motherhoods in this house, you got to rise up. You may not have birthed these children, but they belong to you. I'm appealing to all the ladies, even if you've never had a baby. I'm appealing to all the mothers who are foster parents. Hear me. You already know this. You have got to give love, not partiality love, but love like they were yours. And when you walk around this whole place, there's children of all ages. They need to know there's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. There's only one God and Father above all and through all and in you all. I've kind of bypassed these things because I'm tired of the argumentation. I want them to fall in love with this house. I, I, listen, I know that how the overemphasis can be, but I want them to fall in love with this house. I want them to be familiar with an altar where they can repent. And when this house goes away or when they move away, I want them to remember this house. But there's another thing. When the basket of bulrushes is no longer useful, I want them to remember there's another ark that's going to save them. It's truth. It's the apostolic doctrine. It's holiness. It's godliness. It's righteousness. It's the abandonment of the world. It's running toward the cross of Calvary. It's speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the evidence. It's the infallible Word of God and the name of Jesus. I want them to leave this place. If they're not in this house, I want them to know there's an unseekable truth. I won't fall down. I won't, I won't succumb to the world because there's only one name and that name is Jesus. There's only one baptism and that name is Jesus. I'm going to tell you why Moses survived. It wasn't because he was brilliant. It wasn't because he was talented. It wasn't because he knew everything. There's an imprint. Uh, There's an imprint. And I was spending up time with mothers as they grieve and say, pray for my children. Well, hold on. They're grown up. They have children. Pray for them coming back. And I say... Did you ever speak truth? Oh, yes. Well, then just hold on a little bit. Because one day is coming. Because one day is coming. And you don't know when that day will come. And they'll say, I got to get back to my brother. I got to get back to the house. Hear me, mom and dad's struggling with all of those children that are grown now. I got to tell you something. All you have to do is open up your mouth. Pray the word. Speak the word. And then take confidence. You planted the seed, mama. You cast the bread on the water. It's not going to return void. And all of you young mothers, hear me. Take the opportunity and the privilege now to build something that cannot fade away. Hear me. You want to raise a child? that loves God, don't wait till they're 15. Don't wait till they're 18. 
I don't know what's wrong with our world letting children decide what kind of gender they're going to be. That is, that is nonsense. But I think I know where it started. It didn't start there. It started in the church where parents decided we're going to wait to see what kind of religion and God they're going to serve. You don't wait and let them make up their own mind. You say there's a cross of Calvary and the blood of Jesus was spilled for you. You tell them we're sinners saved by grace. You tell them and they'll believe it. You imprint that so they'll echo it out of their mouth. And when the day comes when we're struggling and we don't know how, what to do, there's going to be something in our heart and a love for our brethren is going to come back to us. I'm preaching the word now. It'd be nice if everybody just clapped their hands because God's good and you know what's right. Come on, somebody ought to say God's good and I know it's right. I'm looking around this church and finding the motherhood of the church. And it's helping me with my own children. Because as much as we love our kids, Tammy, we can't do it by ourselves. We're going to have to have somebody that will take the time. I wanted to call out one mother today in the house. This mother was my Bible quizzing coach, Sister Kathy Hudiger. And I love you, Sister Kathy, for the hours, hours that you gave to me as a teenager. And I'm sorry for tying you up <clears throat> with a vacuum cleaner extension cord <laughs> and leaving the room and going to play basketball. I'm sorry, Brother Hudiger. She couldn't get out, and we thought it was funny. We forgot. <laughs> you know, I don't know everything, but I know if you don't tell the truth right here in this pulpit, you get struck down by lightning right now. You just get kind of ashes. <laughs> he can take me out just like that. <clears throat> he can put another guy in here really quick, not as tall. <clears throat> Anytime he wants. I quoted the book of Acts that year over and over and over again to Sister Hudiger. We quoted ours. An hour. And then the next time she would say, let's do this chapter. An hour. I barely remember it, but she reminded me a year or two ago that during that year of Bible quizzing, Sister Hudiger, I quoted the book of Acts backwards, the last verse to the first verse. That took hours of practice. And the hyper kid sitting down was work in itself. Motherhood. And if you've never heard the sermon after the bread and the wine, well, think of it today. Because after I was offered many things, I knew it was too late for the world to put its claw into me because I've already drank the bread ate the bread and drank the wine that Melchizedek offered to Abraham. And it came through the service of motherhood. What my mama did for me was wonderful, but my mama knew it's going to take the church motherhood. 
to save my babies. Come on, mama. It's time. The hour's late. And there are many arcs that must be built. I want you to stand with me right now. And I want you to lift up your hearts and your hands to God. And I want you to receive the call for the work of the people and the church. Children of all ages, the babies to the oldest, we pray right now. Come on, someone help me pray right now in the name of Jesus. We've got to build something that lasts forever. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. I feel the call on the lives of people today. We're going to do this work right now, Lord. We're going to, we're praying this prayer. We've been building something here, Lord. It's not going to, it's not going to be void. It's not going to return void. It's not going to be empty. Yes, yes. We're going to build the physical and we're going to build the intangible. We're going to build what can be seen and what is only spiritual and cannot be handled. I pray right now, Lord, for every person in this place, let the church become the refuge and let the doctrine become our strength. Yes, Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost moving in this house. I can see it on your faces today. The Lord spoke to you now. He's been speaking to you, Mama. Now it's time. Put your voice into, into practice and just say, we've got to be saved. Tell your children. We've, I don't care how old they are. Just tell them, we've got to be saved. This is the time to be committed. Come on, tell them. Tell them about what's happening in this house. Talk to them about the altar, the good things of God. And then tell them about the scripture and the Holy Ghost. Come on, Mama, speak to them. Speak right now. Commit to your commit to your own heart, to your own life. I'm going to start speaking now. I'm going to start speaking now. That's right. I'm going to start imprinting right now. Yes. I'm going to do some imprint. Listen, it's never too late to put your thumbprint on their lives. They love you. Come on, church, the motherhood. Come on, all the ladies of the church. The church desperately needs you. We need your commitment, your consecration to the things of God. Yes. Yes. Yes, 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 yes.